Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you today, Kasia Robinson. Kasia, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Earl. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have here. Before we get going, uh, listeners, uh, what I want you to know about Kasia's uh, background is she is a business strategist, CEO, coach, and investor. Described by her clients as a shapeshifter who can coach business owners through any challenge at any stage of their business, she helps small businesses, CEOs, navigate the operational and existential challenges of scaling up, pivoting, and or selling a business they've put their blood, sweat, and tears into. Now, I love that purpose, and I love that kind of noble pursuit there, if you will. And I'm really kind of curious to hear with your experiences, with your backgrounds, with your passions, when you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? Well, one thing, and I I do not know who said this first, so I this is not my own idea, is just recasting the word leadership and asking who are people following? Right. Not just who are who's leading. And I think that actually informs so much about what responsible leadership is and responsible leadership is uh, is having enough focus on creating value beyond yourself, on creating value for the people you who work for you, for your customers, for the community that you naturally draw people to follow you and. I believe in the ego, so you really got to feed yourself as well. But I would say the core thing for me is um, having people who can look beyond themselves in when they're thinking about creating value and can be a person that others will follow. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I really like the kind of the focus on on the followership thing, because that's one of the things I talk about, too, is is, you know, Somebody can come from on high from the C-suite and, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, now you've got this title, you've got this position, you're a manager, but, but nobody can really force other people to follow you. You've got you to gotta earn that gift, right? Right, exactly. Um, and I think we've all been in a situation 
or we've been quote unquote led by somebody who is not leading us. So I, I feel like most of us know the experience of being told to follow someone because of rank, because they have the title, because if something comes down on high and they're not leading, we can't, we don't want to follow them. I always say, you're, lo- you're not looking for acquiescence, right? You don't want people to just do it because they have to. And sometimes you can look at that and go, hey, that was not a leader. What's, what would I be? What were the things, if I were to, instead of complaining about what I don't want from a boss, let's flip that around and go, what would make a great leader? What would make a great boss? And now how do I step into that? Yeah, uh, that that is solid, solid advice there. And, and the other piece I like there that you mentioned, because not a lot of folks actually uh, get that far kind of down the the chain, but you, you mentioned customers, right? You mentioned being somebody that, that your customers want to uh, follow and interact with. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, like how, how important is it for leaders to, to really be somebody that customers want to follow? Well, if you think, uh, you know, one of my longtime clients is um, a very successful real estate team. And what does your realtor do? They're residential real estate. They lead you through a process that you're only going to engage in a few times probably in your life, but they're going to engage in over and over again. And so for the CEO that I work with and the the founder partner that I work with there, um, a lot of the work is around him leading his team, but coaching them so they can then lead the customer. And you can see how in that type of a business, it's such, it's the biggest purchase you will probably ever make. This is a massive step in wealth building in your personal life and all these decisions come from it. And that's something where you need someone who can lead you. So that's a prime example of a time when leadership of the customer is in fact the thing that will draw customers to you. Yeah. No, I like that a lot because it's true. I mean, it really is true that, that uh, you know, and especially in, in an economy that we're in right now, when we have this, this great resignation or this great reset and all these things going on, uh, you know, the, the customer, if you are paying attention to social media listeners, you know, the customers are the ones that are really kind of lashing out over, you know, the lack of service, the, the lack of uh, time being open, you know, and all these things. And I get that a lot of you are, you know, kind of stuck in a hard place, but, but the customer is a, a key component in all of, all of our businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really, I really like the fact that you kind of highlighted that there, that that's, that's, that's a thing I really wish a lot more entrepreneurs would really keep in mind is, is the customer piece. Cause I think some folks get kind of really focused on and somewhat rightfully so focus on taking care of, of their direct reports, but you can get those layers deep to, to thinking about the customer and the decisions you make. So I really like that. Yeah. And it's a yes. And with your employees and your customers, one thing that a question I always ask people and I take them through some, some exercises to help them craft this is who do you want to do business with? Yeah. And when you start to get clear, a lot of times, especially if you've just started a business or you have a consumer products business, 
you're trying to make everybody happy. And that's not going to happen because everyone is not your ideal customer. And then we start to segment our customers a lot of times by, well, they're this person or this, this, we get these sort of age and maybe their geography, but fundamentally you're often looking at, is this a person where customer services is really important to them or is price the most important thing? Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, well, if price is the most important thing, then I don't have to focus as much on customer service, but do I want that customer? Maybe not. So you get to make decisions about where you invest energy. There's a minimum threshold for customer service, but you don't have to have same day delivery if you're going to be the lowest price. You just need to understand how you're where you're creating value and then you can monetize that value. And I think that's often something that when people lose sight of the customer, they sort of lose sight of what they're doing for the customer what they're actually, I would say you should check your, your reviews because you do not want reviews. If you are trying to be a high value, high service provider and your reviews say, this was the cheapest one I could find that review needs to come. That's not the client you're trying to attract. And so a lot of times it can be that process of really understanding who you want to do business with. You're not Coca-Cola. You do not need to make everybody happy. So I think of it in that context, a lot with small businesses. And that allows you to really be clear on how you're going to create value. It also makes it clear for you how you're differentiating both in your marketing, right? You know your points, talking points. Also, though, you have to keep up in your game and it will help you understand if someone else is doing it better than you are. And that can be a thing too, where people go, oh, they complain about something. And it's like, you know, that, that person's just doing a very good job. You cannot complain if they're getting more business than you are. Yeah. You got to ask yourself where, how you, maybe you just want to serve a different segment. I would say something like real estate, the number one thing or financial services is I just need to know somebody. If I don't know you, I'm going to go to some other realtor that I know. So there's an opportunity there to say, Hey, a portion of my value just might be being a known person. I still care who I'm serving, but I'm not so focused on whether I'm a better realtor or better financial advisor and somebody who lives, you know, eight towns away. Part of my, I need to be very good advisor, very good realtor, but what I'm doing is the value that I provide the customer is being easy to access choice. Absolutely a choice. Yeah. Sorry. I went off a bit there. No, no, no. I love it. I love it because, you know, there was a bunch of things that kind of triggered in my, my brain as you were talking there and one of them, uh, you know, talking about what what is the service you want to provide, you know, as as a veteran uh, and, and, and almost all veterans feel the same way whenever they see something advertised on TV and it claims to be military grade. Everybody else sees that as tough and durable. We say that just means it was made by the the, the lowest bidder. Uh, you know, so if you, if you're not somebody who is in the military and you don't get that, then, then that sounds great. But if you're, you were a veteran or still active duty, you know, to us that, that same message usually means, uh, overpriced and it's going to break very quickly. Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah, knowing your audience is great because you're not going to sell military grade equipment, uh, to, to most veterans. Um, But yeah, and, and, and you're, you're talking a lot about, uh, you know, that, that building in resiliency by knowing your audience. And I like, I like the, the 
the example there of of the realtor, right? Because you could very easily, uh, you know, become that realtor that just focuses on high profile, high price real estate, or maybe just a commercial real estate instead of residential real estate and, you know, do fairly well for yourself. Uh, but, but being that ease of access person that is kind of the expert in your field. And, and I see this a lot, and I don't know if this is why you picked that example, but I see this a lot trending, uh, especially on YouTube. Uh, like I've seen a lot of realtors using YouTube and kind of positioning themselves as, as the realtor for that city. Like if you go in and look for uh, realtors in, in um, uh, where my wife and I looking recently, Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. the, the, I can see your face. The name just popped out of my head, but you look Huntsville, Alabama realtors. There's a lady that yeah. pops up as, as uh, realtor Pam. That's not actually her name. I'm just making that up from Huntsville. And like, she's got a whole channel dedicated to educating people about the city, uh, about the real estate, where to live, uh, if you're okay with noise from the base, where to live if you don't want noise from the base. And she does a lot of views positioning herself as the expert on Huntsville real estate. And I think that's a real smart strategy you mentioned there. Yeah. And and I mean, I know a woman actually in London who focuses on, you know, uh, I know you have some of your, your uh, listeners are some uh, you guys are out there in, in the UK. UK real estate markets structured very differently. Um, and there's no, uh, you know, usually in most states you buy something, they take a slice off the top and it's split between the selling agent and the buying agent. In the UK, there's no slice for the buying agent. So there aren't really buying agents, which means you want to buy a house, you got to call every single selling and you got to book, figure out how to get it. And you got to do all this, you got to do all that. But for her, she's uh, an American. She's lived there for many years. And her specialty are people who are coming from overseas who are not interested in this process, right? And she then charges them a fee and they got to pay that out of pocket. But she uses quite a lot of education on various platforms to get her brand up there. What I would say is that's a, a, you need a little bit of a first mover and you need to be real consistent. Those are the two things with social media. And you, you know, how many times you go on, I've been on podcasts and I'll go back to check and they're out of business, you know? And I think that that's something if you're going to take that as part of your strategy, you do have to know that there's a pretty big commitment. You need to be you need to be somebody who enjoys investing your time and energy in that. But you also need to know what the point of it is. Marketing is something we often um, get confused about what the point of marketing is. And marketing is there to really to raise awareness. Right? And you have a target customer. You're going to, many people come who maybe you're never going to buy, but like somebody who's at least interested, right, in moving to Huntsville. You're trying to make sure they get to see you, they get to know you, they get to like you, and then you've got to funnel them into sales because you need to move them from each phase. And I always say the sales process is about where are we at each point? What is the value that you are providing to the client or the customer? And sometimes that's like, I can't help you, but someone else could, right? Here's a referral. And you're trying to collect enough information to know whether you want to invite them to the next phase of the sales cycle. Not everybody makes that cut. So part of it, the marketing is to take the burden off you of having to go knock on doors, right? And get your message out. However, like I said, you're not Coca-Cola. The vast majority of your business will still be driven through 
these personal networks, maybe through an industry association, maybe being out there and speaking at an alumni event. If you went to a university, there's things like that. You're going to get a lot of your actual business will come through that referrals, right? Often finding good referral partners. But the marketing in that case, you can always say this is a support. This means if you know my name or you vaguely know my name and something about me, you need two points of data, not just Huntsville. You need one other my first name, I'm going to show up and you're going to see how I can help you. And I always say, so you got to know whether you're trying to use your marketing strategy as a billboard, right? Whether you're trying to use it as a call center, like a telemarketing, right? Actually actively trying to get people to come to your business or whether you're using it like a, like a portfolio. So the person has to already know some things about you. And they have to kind of have, in, and, but, and then you're just saying, here's a great way for you to see what I'm about. There's other things you could do with marketing. That's sort of the three that I tend to look at with my clients. So I do think that social media can be really, really powerful, but you got to know what you're trying to do with it. And that's where people often get out of sync, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that is great. That is great. And actually, um, speaking of marketing there, uh, I think this is actually probably a pretty good spot to go ahead and, and, uh, uh, take our sponsorship break, uh, and let them do some marketing. Uh, because I know on the other side of the, the break here, we got some very deep topics that we're going to get into. So let's go ahead and take that break and listeners we'll be back here in uh, just a little bit and uh, continue this conversation. Right, folks, welcome back. And again, we are with Kazia Robinson. Um, and we've been talking a lot about in the first segment about uh, marketing and, and kind of identifying who you are. Uh, but in the second segment here, I want to kind of come in because um, in our pre-show workup, we talked a little bit about kind of how recently in the last few months or, or maybe a year or so, your focus has really kind of shifted uh, to, to focusing on, on co-founders. Um, let's talk about that. Like what, what, what caused that shift in focus? Well, there's a couple of things that come up. Um, one is I have, uh, I work a certain portion of my client base that are what we call traditional startups. Um, you know, they're looking for venture capital and things like that. And I just started to notice that there was this trend in incubators in venture capital investors, there's like the towards pressuring, right? It's not just, it'd be great if you had a co-founder, you have to have a co-founder that there's sort of, co there's actually co-founder matching programs. You can go on speed dates to try to, you know, in San Francisco to meet co-founders. And so I thought, wow, you know, that's great. But if you imagine a business is a lot like a marriage, right? And you're going in planning to live your life and do something on your own. And somebody's like, you know what? You really need to get married in order to make this happen. And uh, if you want any money from us, you're going to need to do it in the next three months. Right. You're gonna, <laughs> it's true. You're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, some of those are going to be love at first sight and it's going to work great. But some of them are going to have problems. And so I started looking at the failure rate again on how many times people were splitting because the success rate, people say, well, co-founders do better, but then you start to see, yeah, but they also have this divorce rate. And so 
I became really interested in how to help co-founders form their team, form their partnership identity and leadership identity in that partnership, as well as develop as individuals. So, you know, and, and I even had a, a, a colleague who um, reached out to me with a referral and she said, she's in a fractional chief marketing officer. And she said, well, you know, the people on the marketing team are complaining because mom and dad are fighting all the time. <laughs> and they were talking about the two co-founders. Great. And it really impacts the quality of life of your employees. It impacts the quality of experience of your clients. So that is one of the things that really got me interested in co-founders. The second thing, which was I was working with some clients who had a partner, often an older partner, where they were maybe working through an ownership transition. And at some point in the conversation, we were talking a lot about the relationship they have with this other partner. And I was like, hmm, you know, it might have been a good idea just to get the two of them in early on and get a little conversation, get a little bit of understanding. So if there's some stuff that maybe the other partner needs a coach for, it might not be appropriate for me to coach both of them, but I can certainly refer somebody in. They could just surface a few issues, right? We can say, all right, what, what do you, the two of you need to maybe put on the back burner now, but you know that conversation about how equity is going to go. That's going to have to be had at some point. Yeah. It kind of just shifts a little bit of the, the context then when I go to work with the individual because they know it's no longer living rent-free in their head, right? They know that they've gotten some stuff on the table. They can map out when they're going to deal with it. And they've got some process put together for how to communicate with their partner about these tougher topics. So that was those two things kind of came together. And I was like, this is really something that is important to me. And I really wanted to focus on it. Well, and I love that because I think it's uh, I think it's a great focus to have and it's a critical point in in any business. And I kind of chuckled when you mentioned the the speed dating for co-founders, because, you know, I'm sure every once in a while that that, that actually works out. But most of the time, that just sounds like a recipe uh, for disaster. Um, if you're not taking some of these things that you were just talking about there into account, the, the leadership styles, the focus of the business. Uh, we talked in the first segment about knowing the customer. Who is it that you want to sell to? If the co-founders have vastly different visions of who they want to sell to, that that's not going to make a successful business no matter how much you slice it. There's, there's an inevitable rift happening. It may be a year into the endeavor. It may be 10 years into the endeavor, but it's going to happen because uh, you mentioned earlier ego, you know, those egos are going to, to kick in and, and you're just, you're, you're asking for a fracture of the business at some point in time. So I, I really like that you're focusing on that early on. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, with the organizations that you've worked with so far, um, have you noticed a, an improvement in their success rate by, by getting these things kind of dialed in very early on in the process versus waiting until they've already kind of, you know, incorporated and, and formally come into that, uh, that agreement? I mean, absolutely. Um, I will say one thing that can come up is that they don't form the partnership. And that's something that is, uh, I think that sometimes the right result, if you're thinking about a relationship, the correct result is actually not to have a business relationship. Yeah. And that is something that you really don't want to find out three years in. 
right? Because it's really key, the more positive energy, goodwill you can maintain through the process of coaching, the more likely you're gonna have an amicable split and, or you're gonna be able to support each other. Um, one of the things about uh, relationship systems coaching is, as we call it, is the a lot of it's informed by um, some marriage coaching and things like that. And there's a, a John Gottman, who's a famous uh, marriage researcher at, and there's a bunch of stuff that's fascinating um, in his research. But one of the things he looks at is, you know, at some point, people cannot recall the positives. You're in there interviewing them and they can't remember anything good. They've recast the whole past. You know, their wedding day was a disaster. They never really loved this person. They were always X. They were always Y. And if you're trying to make sure, even if I'm going to work with, with someone where it's a little dicey, I need to know that they can think back to a place of positivity in the relationship. Because if they can't, I mean, maybe there's another coach for them, but I really think if they can't, this is probably past the tipping point. So again, the earlier you get in, the more likely you have of avoiding a problem. It's also just good communication, even functioning relationships. Sometimes you get into a tizzy, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that it's like, well, what if we had better tools? What if we had a better strategy for dealing with it? I wanna grow organically. You wanna make some acquisitions. We can actually maintain a very healthy leadership partnership relationship with having consistently having that difference of opinion. But if we fester and we're not talking about it, it can get real ugly and we begin to attach, you know, you never listen to me. Anytime you're saying always and never about somebody else is a good time to get a therapist or a coach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because we started to take things into that realm of its personal affront. And you know what this does? Just like a divorce or unhappy marriage does to your children, it's just decimates your employees know you're trying to hold up a good face for the customer and the customers know and it ends up really destroying the value of the business and do you want to go around making your employees unhappy you're making yourself unhappy you're making your business partner unhappy and now you're making your employees unhappy that's an awful lot of people to be unhappy when maybe a series of conversations at the beginning would have allowed you to work through it yeah no, and, and again, I really love that because I know some of my longtime listeners on the show probably know what I'm getting ready to say here. But, you know, I say quite a bit that that leadership is just another relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, everything that it takes to make a personal relationship is the same things that it takes uh, to make a, a business relationship work yeah. or a leadership follower relationship. And I love that you 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 hit on those things because, you know, it's true. And, and, and we see it happen way too often in businesses for various reasons where, uh, you know, management leadership is is fighting, arguing, and they think they're doing it behind closed doors, just like mom and dad do before divorce. They think the kids can't hear and and you start getting that uneasy feeling throughout the workforce. And that's where you start seeing people get disengaged and actively disengaged and and, you know, looking for other jobs because, you know, who knows what happens when the split comes. Um no, I love that 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 view on it, and and it is it is so spot on that that we need to be 
treating businesses as as relationships. We we um, I go back to uh, the movie uh, uh, You've Got Mail, and there's that that scene where Tom Hanks uh, says to Meg Ryan something about it's not personal, it's business, and and uh, she responds with something. I'm I'm getting the wording wrong here, but she goes, I don't understand that. She goes, whatever something is, it should first start as personal. And, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, that that's right. This should be some, there should be some personal relationship in this. So yeah. I, I, again, thank you for kind of getting that message out there and being a champion for that. Cause I think it's just so critical to, to get an organization started with that in mind. Uh, yeah. So, so I love it. Well, I love to build on that idea of, you know, personal and, and business. Um, and I do suggest when I'm working with a client where like they're married, you know, or they're friends, that they have some working agreements that for their personal, for their non-work relationship. Right. Um, so that they, it's so that they can kind of, and it's mostly so they can sit with each other and go, hey, which relationship are we in right now? Yes. Okay. When, when we're talking about, you know, one of us, let's say, is, um, wants to take a sabbatical. There's a friend relationship conversation about your sabbatical, and it is a different conversation than your business partner relationship. So it it isn't that they don't bleed. And I absolutely agree that it's not about uh, per, like, you know, anytime somebody says it's not personal, it's just business. They've just done something horrible. Right. No right. one ever says that when they did something considerate of other people. Right. And do you want to do business with someone who does horrible things to other people? No. No one does because they'll do horrible things to you as a, as a customer. They'll do horrible things to their employees. They're going to do horrible things in all these other contexts because doing horrible things for their own gain is in their toolkit. Mm -hmm. And they're claiming they, they've got some argument for why it's not personal. Lots of things aren't personal, but that doesn't mean that you don't have an, an obligation to be considerate and compassionate for other people. But if we, we kind of back into where I look at a lot of this is you have that opportunity to use these tools. I like to work in the business environment because I'm a capitalist and I love businesses and I, I like the consulting element. I'm fascinated by business. It's really what I'm passionate about. But you can take all these tools and you can take them home with you. And I encourage people to do it. I say it's easier to work in, on things. It's easier to work on your relationships relationship skills in business. There's metrics. Yeah. There's money. You don't have to like sleep in the same bed as you with these people, right? <laughs> right. It's harder to take it home. So why start at home? Why don't we start at work? And then I encourage people to take these skills back. I'm not a marriage coach. I'm not a I don't parenting coach or anything, but I do encourage them to practice these skills at home and see how that works. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. Uh, there's so much wisdom there and it's, it's, we, we like to try to compartmentalize and you can only do that so much. And, and, um, you know, even, even with that, like you, you may not be a marriage counselor or, or, uh, any of those things, but you know, in a lot of ways with what we do and as leaders, we are, I, I mm -hmm. shared this story recently, just on the last couple of podcasts, but I, I'm, as you were talking, I'm reminded of a story that uh, Bob Chapman of Barry Waymiller um, and the whole truly human leadership movement uh, shared when they, they took over a meat uh, packing plant in uh, Green Bay. And they were, you know, kind of changing the culture, changing everything there. 
and uh, they went in for their yearly follow-up. And uh, Bob said, you know, I, I listened to the board, but I said, I want you to go pick, uh, you know, a random guy off the line. I want to hear what they have to say about the changes. And he said, in walks this, this big, burly, you know, stereotypical uh, northern Midwesterner meatpacking looking mountain of a man. And he asked him, he says, you know, what is the biggest change you've seen in the past year? And he says, this guy kind of like stands there for a second and starts kind of getting a little misty in the eyes. And he says, he says, I'm trying to remember how he put it. Yeah. He goes, my wife likes to see me come home now. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like, what can you, what can you do at that moment? Right. Yeah. That's, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing with it. That with me. I, I have not heard that story. Yeah. And, and, and that's where, again, why I love the, your, your mission there, right. Is it's just, you know, if, if we, I'm a capitalist too, right. And, and capitalism gets, uh, you know, this bad stigma hung around its neck of being, you know, bloodthirsty money overall. And, and it just, it doesn't have to be that way, does it? No, no. Yeah. And that employee is more productive. Yeah. Right. That's a person you have better retention. So if you're going to be, you know, Machiavellian about it, the numbers bear out. And I really think that that's something that is so important. I, I always tell my, my clients, I said, you don't have expenses. You only have investments. Yeah. So your employees are an investment. You need to see a return on that investment. If you're not getting the return, someone else is Prince Charming. So I put it, you got to be kind. You want to let him go. I mean, I've had this fight with, with people where I'm like, you know, hey, send somebody off with three months severance and they'll go, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, so you want to carry him. You're giving them a task they're going to fail at. You want to carry him for six months as an underperformer and fire them to prove a point. You could have sent them on their way with three months. They would never speak ill of you. Yeah. And then it sends a signal to the rest of the people there. Not a bad signal. Like I should underperform. So I'll get fired. It sends a signal that, Hey, if this isn't going to fit, I'm going to be treated fairly. Yeah. So there's so many things like that where people get short sighted about an expense instead of really thinking of it as an investment. Yeah. It's the, the, the old adage, penny wise, pound foolish, right? Yeah. It's uh it's, it's, it's a great way. It's a great way to look at it. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that listeners, uh, no matter where you are in your business stage right now, that, that you listen uh, to, to what, what uh, Casey has shared here, because it is, it's, it's brilliant. And it, it is the way we really should be operating. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with thinking about these metrics. Cause you know, I promise you that we talked about marketing again, early on, that is a form of marketing. People talk, people know yeah. who the, the businesses are that care about their people and people know who the businesses are that don't care about their people. And if you wonder why you are putting out a, a an application and you're getting one, two, three people, uh, you probably have somebody out there who's sharing their experiences and it was probably not a great experience. So uh, you got to think on, on this level here. Um, Absolutely. So 
you know, we, we talked about that uh, quite a bit and, and, and I love it, but I want to kind of get into, um, you, you talk about this, this idea 3d modeling. And I kind of want to segue into that here before we get out of here. Uh, what, what are you talking about when you say 3d modeling? You're not talking about actually like, like uh, 3d printing, right? You're talking about something totally different. Yeah, no, I, I call it, the, yeah, the 3d model, um, which is delete, delegate, do. Okay. And one of the first things I do with clients, and it is, it's actually one of the fundamental principles of my coaching philosophy is, you know, time and money are great, but the commodity that we need to worry about the most that we need to focus on the most is our mental, emotional energy. Mm-hmm. And when we're looking for a return on investment, that is where we're looking to boost the return on investment. And I think when you, we kind of get into it, because, you know, people got fixed like money, even though there is more money over time. That's how the economy grows. But we tend to think if I have 100 bucks, you don't have the 100 bucks. We give very zero sum. And time is this finite thing. And we all know how I always say time flies when you're doing something you enjoy and it crawls when you're doing something you don't. Yeah. So when you get focused on time, you're thinking the wrong way and focus a lot on the mental and emotional energy. And specifically when I start with people, I have them segment out tasks, like what's on your to-do list, what is on your calendar. And we look at, you know, is this a high or a low amount of energy that you have to invest? And then is it a positive or negative return to you? Because you got, you know, we always make that joke, you got to put your mask on, you know, on the airplane before you put in somebody else's mask, right? So, and then we go through and look at those drains. And that is the place where you really get into the delete and the delegate. A lot of times we're trying to gild the lily, be perfect. Marketing is a great example. Oh, I was told I have to run Facebook ads and I'm trying to do this. And it's like, this is stressing you out and you're not making sales calls. You're not, you're, you're not going home and hanging out with your family. You're not playing golf if you love doing that. You're stressing out and you're burning energy and it creates and it's a deficit and it compounds. So it gets worse and worse and worse over time. So a big focus on that model is to say, like, what can you delete for now? Sometimes you put it on the long range plan. What can you delegate? That gets to investing dollars a lot of times. Right? Maybe you need an assistant and it's going to take some time and energy for you to find the right assistant. And certainly going to take some money to pay that assistant. But if we're looking at the return on that energy, huge. So we'll take that on the delegate. And then you're trying to really get back to the core things that you should be doing that are the role of the leader, the role of the CEO, the the founders, the owners of the business. Sometimes there's some decisions. A lot of it has to do with making tough decisions there. And that may not be fun for you, but that belongs to you. And that's something that then you're putting your energy into something that you're like, this, I am the only person who should be doing this. And maybe it's a tough decision, but where's the return on this decision? We're going to know what our strategy is. Huge return, right? Knowing what you're going to do. So I think of that as the way to frame it. And it works for small tasks and it works for big things. That's why I really like that framework. Um, and, And it really helps my clients put things in perspective. So they can begin then to map out 
projects. You can take it more in very tactical project planning, you know, hiring, a bunch of things will come out of that because you've gotten really clear on what you're doing to create value and energy for yourself and what then you can look at, well, how do you monetize, right? What are you doing that is creating value and energy for other people? Yeah, no, I like that. It is, uh, again, a great way, a great way to look at it because, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of folks to do as they move up the ladder is, is especially that delegate, uh, piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I run into a lot of people who think that they're delegating, but when you watch <laughs> them, they're, they're micromanaging, right? They, they have given it to somebody else, but then they're, they're looming large over it and they haven't really delegated anything. They've just kind of put somebody, uh, in charge and in, in name only, if you will. So, uh, I'm kind of curious, like, what are your experiences? Is that the the hardest piece of that that you have with folks is to delegate stuff or or is there another piece? I mean, there are two pieces and and, um, I do uh, like a a behavioral profile exercises, a couple of assessments with my clients when I start in order to understand, I say it's the shortcut to understanding where they're going to be strong and maybe where they have more challenges. Um, Also helps me craft a coaching plan that will be more effective for them. But what I have found in general is that there's different reasons why people are control oriented and there's different places that are control oriented. But yeah, for the most part, they have a hard time delegating and because they care about the outcome, like they mm-hmm. care about what's going on. And often they're used to being really important to the process. And it can be really hard to see, right? If you're focused, you go, but if I'm not doing it, I need to be the person everyone depends on. For going back to the the realtor team, it was like, okay, instead of we will work on a process of transforming what's important to you. And it's like, okay, if you're the owner, instead of being client facing all the time, what you are is facing your team. And how do we take the things you loved about helping your clients and leading your clients through this process. And now you've turned it into how you're helping leading your team. Then they are talking to the clients. So you can see how you all of a sudden built scale into mm-hmm. the business. So we do focus on that. Some people who are real sticklers, I'll go through process of the acceptable error rate. You know, I'll go like, what is it? What's the acceptable error rate? Cause people won't have any idea of what good looks like. Yeah. And then they won't have any training. So it's like acceptable error rate. Okay, no typos ever in any social media post. Guess what? That's not, that's the wrong answer. Okay, so, right. And then you go into the training and then you have a feedback loop where you're saying, all right, we're going to test it out. And I've definitely had clients where like they hadn't been on vacation in a million years. And finally, once they got through that process, picking, I always say, look for small wins, baby steps. They were finally able to release that enough you know, to go and be away. And you know what? Team takes care of a lot of things. You come back and you find out they did it better than you did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That that piece right there, I think that is it. Because I do a lot of, uh, you know, talk about uh, cognitive diversity and putting cognitively diverse teams together for that, mm-hmm. that very reason. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. And, and it's been scientifically proven uh, that different points of view on how to solve a complex problem, which is what most businesses are doing, 
the more points of view you inject into that process, the better the outcome is going to be. There's, there's all sorts of mathematical Absolutely. formulas that have proven that out. And right. Absolutely. And what I love is that diversity, to your point, diverse teams make better decisions. Teams that have a sense of communal identity mm-hmm. are better at the execution. And what happens a lot of times is we focus on hiring for that communal identity. And we think of the communal identity as, do you go to the same church as me? Do you look like me? Are we from the same town? Um, Instead of thinking, and this gets to stuff you can do with coaching about what are our values? What do we, what's important to us? How do we want to take, what's, what are the, how do we want to treat customers? If you shift and you take that in and you then you can have a diverse team with lots of different points of view and different backgrounds that has communal identity. So you can win win. And that's something that I think is really powerful about coaching is getting getting the best of both of those. So thank you for bringing up that point about uh, about diverse teams, because it's so true. Yeah, no, I I, I like that. And uh well, look, uh, Kazia, we've we've been chatting here for closing in on forty five minutes, maybe a little bit more at this point. Uh, a lot of great conversation, a lot of great discussion. Just kind of curious: is there any uh, piece that we didn't get a chance to focus on that you really want to leave listeners with before we get out of here? I'll get one piece of advice that I got that was a, a great piece of advice was assume positive intent. So I always encourage people. Going out, sometimes you can only get to neutral intent, but just going through your inbox, going through your communications today, going through things with your business partner, your home, just try to take that exercise and say, okay, let me assume neutral intent in whatever this email that I just got that seems terribly passive aggressive. So that's Mm. what I leave you with. No, I, I like that because I've ran into the same thing and and, and I like the, I like neutral because I've, I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to to use that and and word it better because I always say the same thing: assume positive intent or at least no ill intent. But I like neutral. Uh, I think that's a better way of putting it. So thank you for that because you, you just helped me with the word there. Um, well, this has been again. This has been a great conversation. I know you know, listeners. There's a whole lot of stuff here that we we talked about that uh, we didn't get a chance to mention, and uh, I'm I'm really. Uh, hoping that you want to find out more uh, about the services that Casio uh, offers, how to reach out, how to find out uh, what those services are. What's a good place for them to uh, to reach out to you? You know, LinkedIn is great. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only Casio Robinson out there, but I'm probably one of the few um, that's spelled uh, K as in kangaroo, E as in Edward, Z as in zebra, I-A-H. Um, and, uh, and you can also check me out on my website. Um, that is uh, cassia-partners.com, C-A-S-S-I-A-partners.com. But, um, and I know you'll have some links here. So hit me up. I, I just love to hear about people's businesses and what's going on. And, and uh, I'm just always fascinated by that. So hopefully people will reach out. Yeah, definitely. And and yes, we'll have those links on there so listeners can just click on it and get right to you. And and I highly encourage you to do that, listeners, because uh, there's a lot of great content on there. Uh, there's a lot of good, uh, just a lot of good insight. I mean, you've heard a lot of it here on this uh, podcast already, but I strongly encourage you to, to reach out and find out more. And um, 
you know, I just want to say, uh, Kizia, uh, thank you for being a guest. Uh, thank you for having this great conversation. Thank you for taking us down some of these roads here and, and, you know, helping me figure a few things out as, uh, through the course of our conversation. It has been outstanding and you've been a phenomenal guest. And I just want to say thank you for being a phenomenal guest on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. All right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.